Hi, this is Jesse, and welcome to Red Cloaks Radio, where we have been counting down to see if the Massachusetts legislature would or would not pass the Roe Act by the end of the legislative session. Joining me today are frequent co-hosts. Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. Laurie from Cape Cod Women for Change. And Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. So yesterday, this last night, the legislature both the House and the Senate agreed to extend their formal session until up to the end of this year. And today's special episode is a little regroup for us and a discussion about how the podcast has grown. Honestly, when we started, I thought it would be a few episodes where we just wrapped up episode 22. (laughs) Amazing. And the idea of continuing, I will say for me, is it's great that there's still a chance to pass the row act but it's also a very frustrating day to think of how many times we thought there was going to be action within a certain window and that the row act has still been pushed aside not prioritized it's a double-edged sword because now we have more time to make more things to make them understand that they need to pass the row act but if they don't do it or they said okay let's freeze it or wait for another year. It's like all the things we did, all the things we, all the signatures, all the postcarding, all the things done. I cannot find the word, but all the things that we have done have gone in vain because they don't want to hear. They don't want to educate themselves. They don't want to keep on. They don't want to be progressive. Yeah, the only thing I can say to that is we're getting better at what we're doing, right? And so we're getting more focused. We are learning some tactics and strategies, what works, what doesn't work. And we can go at them harder. Although I'm getting a bit tired and kind of wish that the job was done already. We just have to keep on fighting Um, because we're fighting for so much. it, it, it impacts everything. It impacts racial justice, economic justice, uh, it, healthcare justice. So it's, it's many things all wrapped up into one and we just have to be resolved and keep honing our skills. And that's what, what we've gained over the past 18 months, even if we haven't passed. I totally agree with that. And I think that as we, interview more and more candidates, I'm shocked at how many are running against incumbents who basically aren't even working. They've been in the job for 27 years, 25 years, whatever. They're just resting on their laurels. They they think they don't have to do anything different because obviously what they've been doing is, is great. But as a matter of fact, as I say to my state rep all the time, who is anti anything, everything. They don't represent us. They don't hear our voices. They don't even ask. They don't ask. And he thinks that he's representing the town of Billerica because he keeps getting reelected. And I said, you don't reflect my values, nor the values of anybody I know in this town. And, you know, that goes nowhere. But I'm encouraged by finding so many progressive women who are adamant about taking this on about replacing the men who have been doing nothing for the last most of their time in in office and i see i i'm hopeful that in massachusetts 
as well as other parts of the country, that there will be another, this will be another woman's victory election year that will keep all the brave women that we have in office and will be welcoming more. I personally have been trying to find uh, candidates to interview who are not from the heart of Boston, you know, not within the 128 belt. I'm trying to find others that are a little bit further to, to the West, just so we can be sure we're capturing their voices that everything isn't, oh, the gals in the city. And that we're talking to people who are in Groton, in Framingham, in Worcester, uh, and beyond. Yes, a lot of those people don't have a voice. And, um, you know, working with the Indivisible Mass Coalition, with the whole statewide group, we're finding that there are areas like that, like in Worcester, um, or even in Revere, there are no indivisible groups even. There mm -hmm. are no, no progressive groups that represent those people's voices. And very often, that is where you have these um, representatives who've been in there for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. It's definitely revealed to me how the blue part of Massachusetts is an illusion because when we think about the networks across the state, there's the Roe Coalition, which we've learned more about with 80 organizations endorsing and supporting the Roe Act. There's Indivisible, which is a network, but there's also the Democratic Party, which in theory would be a network, and yet it doesn't solve this problem of putting the specific issues up front. Fascinating, who knew? Well, hey, you know, they're, they're putting forth a Democratic candidate in District 5 here who is opposed to the Roe Act. Right, exactly. Who literally stood up at a forum and said, I would vote no. Yes. And who was also misinformed. So it also means that uh, at least that part of the party when they supported someone didn't help that person get prepared. I mean, the person has responsibility, but the party, I would think, would also have some responsibility. So you look at how do you actually make change in this state, you have to have a much stronger network. If, if the Roe Act ultimately passes in an extended session, that would be great. But it's not clear that people feel like they have to speak out about this issue. I think it would be interesting. We look back, we started this June 17th which Lori pointed out was the one-year anniversary of the hearing of the Roe Act. In this time, we have seen some change because Karen, like you pointed out, Bill Ricca, Bill Ricca didn't have any uh, anyone willing to run against the incumbent. And now there is a writing candidate. So Teresa English is now running against him. That is a change that came in this last month. Really interesting. People are maybe starting to notice that the person who's in there literally does not do anything for the issues they care about. I think also that people are, were just complacent. They thought, oh, we're doing fine. But now people are taking note that doing fine is not, is not okay. We have to be on, on top of the game. We have to have everything equal. All the situations we have been living in the country is having or is making or doing a wake-up call for everybody, especially women. The riots in Portland, the, that the women have been subjected to those, to that treatment, that the men have to come with lip blowers to uh, scatter the fumes. 
people are seeing that some other persons are making fun of real things that happen to people in minorities, like the different, different situations. So I think women are waking up and especially young women, they're seeing that they're losing some of the rights that our parents, our grandparents help us get. Because if we lose the Roe Act, we're gonna go back to 1974. And that would be such um, such a disgrace. Yesterday I was hearing all, everything that was said during Representative Louis' funeral. And it has to be a wake up call. Since the pandemic started, to all the tweets, all the situations we have been living, that has to be a wake-up call for everybody. And we have to show our kids. And I don't care if they're four, five, 17, or 29. You have to tell them, look what's happening. You don't have to see the news every day, but read the newspaper read the excerpts or talk during the dinner table. It has to be a wake-up call. I think 2016 was definitely a wake-up call. And that's when a lot of us became activated again. Uh, we thought you know, with Hillary in, we'd be safe. You know, things would even get better. Uh, and they've only gotten worse, not only for women and children and people of color and for the environment, for pollution, for housing, for gerrymandering, for voting, uh, you name it. This administration has us on a path for destruction and we can't let that happen. The other thing I want to be careful of too is, you know, the, the women's movement has always followed what was in the 60s, their version of the Black Lives Matter movement. <clears throat> that came first. It was supported by millions of women of all colors. And then the women were left out in the cold again. But they started to realize that and they started to take it back. Hence the formation of uh, NOW, National Organization of Women, hence the uh, publication of Ms. Magazine. Other radical magazines and newspapers woke up. Then we went into, then we had Rogue, yay, this is never gonna get changed, everything's gonna be wonderful, and bang, we're back there. The Women's March, as Jesse brought up, 2017, oh my God, I was high for days after that. And then the Indivisibles showed up, and so we started doing that, and then we had splinter groups. So we have to keep the momentum going, and, we and that's how we keep our voices. And these podcasts, I really believe, are absolutely essential. I'd like to figure out if there's more than just Facebook, Twitter, Instagram uh, to uh, get these out into the conversation. I agree with everything you said, Karen. And um, I think that what, what I'd like to add is the other thing that we've done is we have this whole older generation who's also learned Zoom, Slack, Insta, Twitter, all these things we've had to take on board, Google Docs, and figure it all out and, and try to leverage it all to our purposes. And it just shows, it's amazing to me, the, the power 
that we have the mind power, the heart power um, to, to accomplish all of this. And so it's, it's a chore sometimes, but there's so much energy there. We've said while we wait, we grow stronger. And I think we really have. We definitely, like Laura, you were saying before we started recording today, that even the idea of a podcast came up because we've been disrupted by COVID. So it's not easy and safe for the over 130 people who have been handmaids to just easily go down to the state house in person. But for a few of us to get together, it's a way to educate, inform. We've learned a lot and to share the information. I think a lot of information about how government works gets bottlenecked because people want to keep the power and knowledge for themselves maybe or their own issue and or they just don't have time to spell out to other people, this is how it works. This is what it's really like. And Massachusetts, we've learned, is particularly not transparent. So it's very hard to know when something goes into a committee and you don't hear anything for over a year, you literally don't know what's going on unless someone talks to someone who's willing to share from the committee what's happening. But then it's kind of a rumor and you don't know if it's actually true. You can stand outside the state house, you can email, you can postcard, but there is no response from the committee. What are some things that you've taken away? Do you have a favorite guest or a favorite moment? Has one of the episodes stood out for you? Oh my gosh, so many of them. As, as Lori was speaking, I, I wanted to ask her if she'd listen to uh, Carol, the Bad Old Days Posse. Yes. And so that we, had some of them, we had some of them come and speak and mm. the stories mm -hmm. tell about life before Ralph. Yeah. Well, this woman shares her story, her history, how she became radicalized and how through her inspirations, NARAL was first formed. Martha, what stands out for you? I have liked all the podcasts with the candidates. Some more than others. I like Erica a lot and I like Teresa a lot. I think they, all of them have been very progressive and I think they can do a lot of good for the robot, which is one of our main goals. How about you, Lori? I'm really struck by the story that Rich told about his family, about how he never knew that his grandmother died from a, an illegal abortion and that it was stigmatized so much that the family kept it silent and he found out as an adult. felt, I think, robbed of having known her. He's a shy man, but he was very keen to tell that story because of what he found out about, you know, this woman who back in the early 1900s already had a bunch of kids and was desperate not to have another and mm. that he lost her life. And mm. he never had the opportunity to no. Mm. Rich's story really was very impactful to me as well because it felt like it's the exact same moment that some woman right now in Massachusetts is experiencing. Right as we're talking, there's a teenager or an adult who is pregnant, cannot remain pregnant, and cannot access support and is trying to figure out how to solve that problem by themselves. And so they're either taking some kind of chemical they read about on the internet by themselves, and it's the same thing. And just like Rich's grandmother may die or injure themselves permanently because they just know they can't become a parent now. 
he really put into words, I think, the way people feel and why these laws have got to change. I think it's why I get so frustrated that they didn't act in the Judiciary Committee in July last year. I find it very frustrating that they, if they'd never heard anything before, but they sat through the nine hours of testimony in the hearing, and I was there all day, so I heard the whole thing until way late at night. I can't understand how they could set that aside. I do understand they have lots of other priorities, but I cannot understand why this one would be something they would wait on, even if it's difficult, because all that happens if they don't act is they will get more of the opponent's rhetoric. They will have more angry people calling mm-hmm, them names mm-hmm. and lying. It just mm-hmm. extends that period, whereas the science and the facts are unchanged. His willingness to tell the story, I think, bookends really nicely with the interview we just did with Josh, who shared his own story, which was very moving and a reminder that in many instances, when a pregnant person is having an abortion, someone else was involved, as Martha mm-hmm. says. It takes two. And mm-hmm. it may have been by consent or not by consent, but many people have benefited from the ability to have a safe abortion. Mm-hmm. And why would we discriminate and not let some people have access when other people do? And I think also to the point that's made by having um, men like Joshua Rich, Rich talk is that it's not just about a bunch of floozies, which is the way I, I see the, the opposing side always trying to present it as a bunch of irresponsible women who change their mind. It's not just co-eds who don't use birth control. And, you know, it, it's, it's everybody. It's a part of our lives. It's a part of our care for ourselves and our families that impact everybody. When we interviewed Carmine Gentile the other day, he was relating a story that he had watched the ROAC coalition rally. Jesse, do you remember, he indicated that he knows that woman. Yeah. So Carmine Gentile said he saw a video that was recorded and he recognized the person telling the story. It was his friend's daughter who he knows. And he had never been aware that she had gone through having to leave Massachusetts to end her pregnancy when she had learned of a fatal fetal diagnosis and that he found it incredibly distressing to learn that this is someone he knew. He was already very supportive. I think what he was saying is that the stigma is so great that even his close friend hadn't shared that. What I'm left with is thinking that a lot of our history is not inclusive. So we study history and we don't learn about the woman part of the history. We don't learn about the suffrage movement. Karen pointed to, we don't learn about the part of the civil rights movement Well, we don't learn about the civil rights movement, period, but we don't pull out the threads around racial justice or around promoting women as as equal people. So it's not taught and you get a whole generational gap. People don't know about birth control not being accessible unless you were married in Massachusetts. You had to be married. People just literally have lost the history. It's understandable that some of the people in the state house don't have it. When there's a hearing and the information is brought to their attention, then I think there's no excuse, just none. So- We will carry on, I suppose. Uh, If we go into extra innings, we will, I'm sure, continue to learn more and be able to follow some candidates and talk to some people who are currently in the legislature. It's been really a pleasure working with all of you and with some of our co-hosts who couldn't be on today. I'm all for extra innings. Yeah. So am I. On yesterday's podcast, a brave woman here. To brave women. As we wait, we grow stronger.
to brave women. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs>